Welcome. If you're looking to unlock the secrets of the mind, to live a life that's free of care and anxiety, and to be the happiest you that you can be, then you're in the right place. This is Growing the Good, the Mindful Podcast. Hello and welcome to Growing the Good, the Mindful Podcast, with me, your host, Neil West, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Hayley Kearns. Hi Hayley, how are you today? I am very well as always, Neil. Very well as always, that's good to hear, good to hear. Right, now, we recently had a podcast um, about death. It's a chirpy subject. Um, it was your, it was your pick, it was if my I pick. remember. <laughs> um, and I felt I was trying to help you overcome your fear of death, and I'm not completely convinced that I was successful. <laughs> so I thought I would bring out the big guns. Okay. okay. Oh goodness. So I'm going to have another crack at that nut, as it were, mm-hmm. and I'm going to introduce you to um, a Zen master called Ikkyu. Right. And Ikkyu, I'm hoping, Japanese, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm hoping that Ikkyu, who is a very unconventional Zen master, I have to admit, but they are the ones that appeal to me, Um, but I'm hoping that he'll help you overcome your fear of death in a way that perhaps I was unable or lacked skill, shall we say. Okay. Um, So, let's start. I'll give you that. Now, Ikkyu is kind of a multi-layered individual in the sense that he's known in different ways. Um, So I'm going to give you an overview but it's not really the truthful one, if you like. Okay. okay. So, um, Just a bit like Wikipedia. Look at it. Born in Kyoto to a court lady-in-waiting, uh, Ikkyu, who was born in 1394, mm-hmm. and became an acolyte at the age of five at the Zen temple. Okay. Um, his, his, his name, Ikkyu, is his student name that was granted okay. to him by his master, um, which means one rest, one slumber. You know, he had an awakening experience, okay? But it's also representative of this short time that we are alive for. Mm -hmm. You know, life is effectively one rest, one slumber. Um, He had an awakening experience. Uh, He left the monastery life and revealed an independent, pleasure-loving way of life. Did he? Yes. Um, he was known for frequenting the brothels and sake houses. Okay. Um, and he, at the age of 77, fell in love with the blind minstrel Lady Mori and may have fathered a daughter with her. Yeah. It was at the age of 80 he was appointed abbot um, to a great Zen monastery which had been mostly destroyed by war. And in the last years of his life he completely rebuilt it. Uh, he was known as a Zen master beloved of his outlandish jokes. Um, Zen, as you know, is this kind of very purred back mm-hmm. idea of um, Buddhist faith. They reject most of the kind of scriptures and texts and believe it's about you, your thoughts, your mind finding the truth in, in, in existence, which is often irrational and therefore humour and unexpected violence quite often feature in Zen practice. Uh, we knew that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, um, his birthday was on New Year. And he appeared in the streets of Kyoto brandishing a human skull on a pole, claiming that this reminder of death should not dampen the day's spirit of celebration. And he would run up to the court ladies in their nice dresses and their <laughs> formal makeup, waving this human skull on a okay. stick at them, um, <laughs> telling them, you know, don't be frightened of death, you see, we can still all have a bit of a laugh, can't we? 
Okay. Um, now there's a bit like you now. <laughs> well, there, there is method in his, as he, he called himself Crazy Claude, right? Oh, right. Um, and there was method in his madness, okay. you know, in the sense that his madness transcended the earth. You know, he was aware of greater truths and he was trying to kind of broaden people's awareness of it. And he wrote um, a long poem um, called Skeletons, bits of which I will share with you later. Mm -hmm. um, but part of it where he says, why do people lavish decoration on this set of bones des destined to disappear without trace? You know, why are you dressing yourself up and putting makeup on when, when all of this will pass and you will just become like this skull? Yeah, so that was skull the, the skull and stick. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of shocking and, 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 and meant humorously. Humor, mm -hmm. Humorously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, but it had this serious message. Okay. okay. Right. So, but that, that's kind of, that's the tourist guide's version of him. Right. The truth is more complex. Right. So I'm going to tell you more about him now because I think he's very interesting. Um, so indulge me. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is from Sonia Artisan's 1970 thesis oh. about Icky. Right. So well, you you know, I've dug deep for this one. Um, Icky was born in 1394. His life was in one of the most restless and violent periods of Japanese history. It was a time of incessant, incessant civil war. Mm -hmm. So you can say. Um, the, the, the problem at the time was that Buddhism, and particularly Zen, was becoming very popular. So this kind of where you were supposed to sort of do it on your own and think things through had to be taught somehow to thousands of people in the giant monasteries. So in a sense, it was becoming difficult to get the message across. Um, wordless transition of the mind, the Zen principle, is hard to teach to thousands of young students en masse. Um, and these temples became large institutions that needed lots of staff, bureaucrats. You know, they weren't being run by holy people anymore. They were being run by money people, if you like. Um, so this power and wealth inevitably led to corruption. Um, Ikki, this light-hearted, carefree fellow that we hear about, um, was known to be clever and witty as a child and was an evangelistic saviour of the courtesan's soul as a monk. He was very close to the emperor. He may have been the emperor's child, mm -hmm. you see. So there was always this kind of rumour that he was actually an illegitimate child of the emperor. Um, he was known for being joyful, a fish-eating, sake-drinking, love-making, <laughs> prank-playing Zen prelates, he was known as, okay. okay. But his writing suggests that he was very learned. He was a great artist. He illustrated all his own. This is why it interested me with yeah. the uh, the Fox and the Horse book. Mm. You know, his illustrations were very detailed and his calligraphy mm. was very skillful and his poetry was very meticulous. Um, so to kind of dismiss him, as, and he talked of himself as being a, a useless drunk and a lazy idler, mm. but the truth of it was that he was far from that. He was mm. a very clever guy, okay. Um, there was a man who knew sorrow and all the dark depths of the soul. Um, so he was said to be the illegit illegitimate son of the emperor, and it's quite probable he was. Um, he certainly had very close connections to the court, so he must have been of high birth. But because of all the political intrigues at the time, his mother was accused of treason, and they were sent away. And he was sent to a monastery when he was only six years old. At the age of 12, he was supposed to amaze the gathering that, that came to listen, displaying wisdom much beyond his years. And at 13, 
who became, he began studying the composition of Chinese poetry. Remember, there was no Japanese written language at this time, so all writing was in Chinese. And this is partly why he's not as popular now, because all that was sort of, that fell out of fashion mm -hmm. as Japanese language and literature came to the fore. So I suppose it would be a bit like reading Chaucer or something, yeah. right? like kind of mid-English. Um, so at 17, he took his first real master, Kino. He had advanced to the point where Kino had no more to teach him. The relationship between he and his teacher seemed to have been a very warm one. Um, they lived in simplicity and poverty in a retreat. They didn't live in a monastery. Um, Kino died when Ikki, Ikki was 21. He was saddened by the loss and he wandered about in a distracted fashion and prayed for 17 days before resolving to drown himself um, in a lake. Now, this, this kind of dramatic self-harm tendency in Zen is quite common, that you cut off body parts or you threaten to immolate yourself or, or commit terrible acts as a way of demonstrating your sincerity. Okay, so he threatened to drown himself. Um, but he was stopped from carrying this out by a vision of his mother who appeared and admonished him and told him to preserve the path towards enlightenment. Okay, so then he went to um, another master um, who he wanted to join, um, who told him to get lost, basically. <laughs> so he waited for five days outside his gate, and each time the master refused to even notice him. Um, and at one point he was going out into the village and looked at Ikki and he said, is that monk still there? Throw some water on his head and chase him away, <laughs> which they did, but he refused to leave. So in the end, Keiso, his new master, relented and agreed to take him as a disciple. Okay, he was a very strict uh, master and they kept with a very rigorous life with him. Um, and the th again, the standard of, of living that was very poor, they had little to eat, they had no warm clothes to wear in the winter. But he continued to study with that teacher for some years. Um, and in the end, the, the, the teacher said, this boy is smarter than me, which would be high praise from a, from a Zen master. Um, it was Keito who gave Ikki his name, the one breath, one slumber, one rest, one slumber. Um, it's a metaphor for the short end of human life. Um, the implication is that if one arrives at the state of mind where it is evident that from birth to death is really only a moment, this is for you, Hayley, then griefs and cares in this life seem a small thing indeed. So once your awareness of, of life being so short, so fleeting, is, is, is manifest, then really what else matters? Um, so at this point, he went on his journeys. He became a kind of wandering itinerant monk and he was known as Straw Rain Hat and Bamboo Walking Stick. Changes oh, his name yeah. quite a lot. So he was known by this, this appearance, which was a bit eccentric, of his rain hat and his bamboo walking stick. Uh, the emperor himself was supposed to have been very fond of Ikkyu's manner of explaining Zen. His unofficial travelling must have brought him into contact with the brothels and sake shops that frequent many of his the kind of recorded history mm -hmm. of his travels. Um, and at one point he was noted for wandering through the streets wearing a wooden sword, playing a musical instrument and regaling passers-by with satirical accounts of the behaviours of present-day monks. And the idea of the wooden sword um, was to show that the kind of modern religion was very ineffective. It looked the part, but it was no use really. Um, and he set up a hermitage which he called Blind Donkey Hermitage. <laughs> okay. right? Um, because even the blind donkey should be able to see the truth. Yeah. <laughs> um, ah. And he spent much of his time there. Okay. Um, 
he had um, he had an enemy uh-huh. um, who had trained at the same time as him called Yoso, um, who was a bit older but had been a, a student of the same teacher. Um, they didn't get on because Yoso became um, very much embodied in, 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 in everything that the monastery tradition had become. Um, he was happy to accept gifts from rich uh, supporters. He was arrogant. He was considered a hypocrite. He was a, an epitome of a, a false monk parading as holy and duping the laity. That's how he was seen. You see, so he would wear the purple robes and keep servants and things, but didn't really live a holy life. Um, so on one occasion, it was the thirteenth anniversary of their teacher's death. And a week previously, if you had taken up residence nearby, Yoso, as official head of the temple, arranged the ceremony and had especially invited certain wealthy merchants. They came and were noisy and unruly in the temple, but each gave rich presents mm-hmm. to Yoso afterwards. And two days later, Ikkyu wrote a poem on the wall of Yoso's house. Mm-hmm. Let us put some necessary things in a cottage, like wooden ladles, bamboo baskets hanging on the east wall. I don't have a lot of furniture like you. Rivers and seas, many years travelling with straw raincoat, um, straw hat, bamboo stick. Um, th- th- this was a, a, a big sniper thing for like possessing all these material things. It sounds quite simple to yeah. us, but for a, for a Zen master to have even a bed was considered profligate. You know, this yeah. was far in excess of what you needed to have a wall full of wooden ladles and a comfy yeah. bed and chair and things. So he was filling his whole his, his, his temple with all these trappings of comfort and wealth which he mocked and painted it on the wall as, as, as a public thing. Um, so Ikkyu became you know, dis- dis- disillusioned with, with the state of his religion and decided again that he was going to starve himself to death, you know, inspired by the Buddha. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this was the king's way to perish, he told himself. Um, however, the emperor um, inter- intervened at this point and wrote to her and said, how can the master cast us aside like this? How can the master forget his country like this? Um, which tells us how much high esteem the emperor held for him, but it was also enough to convince Ikkyu that his work was not yet complete. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ikkyu finally died in 1482 at the age of 88. He'd given himself a new name, Mad Cloud, and these mm-hmm. he wrote poems as Mad Cloud. Um, he was simply aware that to the rest of the world, assuming the validity of mundane reality, he appeared to be crazy, while at a transcendental level of reality he was not crazy at all, but rather quite sane, more sane perhaps than anyone else. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I've got a couple of quick quotes here from um, various sutras that kind of justify, I suppose, clarify his thoughts. Okay. Right? So, just as the lotus flowers do not grow in the dry land, but in the dark coloured watery mire, intelligence can only grow in the mire and dirt of passion and sin. So he went out to the bars and the brothels because that's the mud where the lotus would grow strongest. It wouldn't grow in the temples. Yeah. So he was going out to where the people were. Remember when Jesus said, you know, it's the it's not the sick who need it. It's not the it's not the well the health who need the mm-hmm. physician, it's the sick. So he was taking his end to the people who needed to understand it the most. And Nirvana is not to be thought in the heaven, 
nor after a departure from this earthly life, nor in the annihilation of human passions and aspirations. On the contrary, it must be sought in the midst of worldliness, as life, with all its thrills of pain and pleasure, is no more than nirvana itself. So don't look for nirvana. You're already there. Already there. Mm. Okay. Now, so I want to, this is, this is his poem. This is Skeletons. Obviously, it's a translation from the original Chinese. Um, and I've only picked bits out, but I'm hoping that this is where, you know, my words weren't wise enough <laughs> to comfort you on your journey and, and to free you of your fear of dying, but perhaps this will. So you have to imagine that he's gone out on one of his walks and fallen asleep and is visited by visions of skeletons who tell him truths about life and death. Mm. Okay. Filled with disgust and longing to liberate myself from the realm of continual birth and death, I abandoned home and set off on a journey. One night I came to a lonely little temple, looking for a place to rest. I was far off the main road at the base of a mountain, seemingly lost in a vast plain of repose. The temple was in a field of graves, and suddenly a pitiful-looking skeleton appeared speaking these words. A melancholy autumn wind blows through the world. The pampas grass waves as we drift to the moor, drift to the sea. What can be done? with the mind of a man that should be clear, but dressed up in a monk's robe, he just lets life pass by. Such deep musings made me uneasy, and I could not sleep. Towards dawn, I dozed off, and in my dreams I found myself surrounded by a bunch of skeletons acting as they did in life. One skeleton came up to me and said, memories flee and are no more. All are empty dreams, devoid of meaning. Still breathing, you feel animated. So a corpse in a field seems to be something apart from you. I got on well with this skeleton. He had renounced the world to seek the truth. He saw things clearly, just the way they are. I lay there with the wind in the pines whispering in my ears and the autumnal moonlight dancing across my face. What is not a dream? Who will not end up as a skeleton? We appear as skeletons covered with skin, male and female. And the breath expires though the skin ruptures, sex disappears and there is no more high or low. Underneath the skin of the person we fondle and caress right now is nothing more than a bare set of bones. Think about it. High and low, young and old, male and female all the same. Awaken to this one great matter and you will, be Im you will immediately comprehend the meaning of unborn and undying. Okay. Is that one? We're all skeletons under the skin. We're all the same. We're all the same journey. We're all going to end up in the same place. And if you can embrace and accept that, then you can enjoy the moonlight and the breeze and your Brothels. place in the world. And brothels <laughs> and sake and whatever floats your boat, Haley. That's the point. That's where the mud is to be yeah. found. Um, so that is um, Ikyu, the great Zen master. Um, if you go to Japan, Ikkyu is known more as a child figure because it's his wisdom as a child that yeah. people know him for. Do you want a quick story? Go on. A quick story. Um, so Ikkyu staying with his master and the other monks. Um, the master returns with a jar of honey. And obviously all the young monks, the boys, all want some of this honey. But the master says, you can't have this. It's poison. Okay. Yeah. And then he says, I'm going to go out now. He says, don't touch the jar of honey. Remember, it's poison. Right. So he goes out. And then Ikkyu comes and takes the master's most expensive and, and, and valuable vase 
and accidentally drops it on the floor and it smashes. Oh dear, says Ikkyu, I have broken the master jar. I must be punished. I will take some poison. <laughs> so he goes and starts to eat the jar of honey and all the other boys are crying and wailing and lamenting, saying, don't eat that, it's poisonous. And the master returns, angry, who smashed my most precious vase? And Ikkyu says, I have to be honest, I did it. And as a punishment, I am now taking all this poison, but it re refuses to take my life. And the, the master at this realises he's been outsmarted. There's not a lot he can say about this. But the emperor hears about it, and he hears how smart Ikkyu is and wants to test him. So he summons Ikkyu, who's only six years old at this time, remember, to the palace and says, um, shows him a picture of a tiger. And he said, this tiger right, leaps out and terrifies us all, and I need you to restrain it knowing full well that the, that the picture did not leap out and he couldn't restrain the picture anyway. Can you do something to help me and, and restrain the tiger? Of course I can, said Ikkyu. Oh, oh, okay, says the master, thinking this is an impossible task. All you have to do, he said, is startle the tiger so it leaps out of the painting and I will then restrain it. So mm. then the emperor realises yeah. that he's been outsmarted as well because he would have to admit that yeah. the tiger does not leave the painting at all. So they're just a couple of kind of quick stories that if you went to yeah. Japan and saw Tsubeki Ikkyu, he's That's remembered more as kind of yeah. a wise child than the, um, you know, very thoughtful and, 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 and understanding writer that he was. And the reason I think that people promoted this um, eccentricity above his teachings was because he was very much against the establishment. Mm -hmm. He established monasteries, which were quite corrupt and in, 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 in interested more in money and ceremony than they were in the truth of Zen, um, wanted to discredit it. And were quite successful mm -hmm. in doing so, I suppose. Um, because now he's not really remembered as he should be, I think, for his wisdom and understanding of the nature of life and death. So there we go. Interesting guy. Yeah. Do you feel more reassured now? Oh, definitely. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> right, so that's kind of it. Yeah. I don't know if people want to get in touch if they're inspired by this story of Ikkyu. Yeah, you uh, can find Or if you want me to, you know, go even deeper. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you I've, I've been reading the Tibetan Buddhist Book of the Dead <laughs> if you want to go really deep. Um, but if no. you do want to, you can find us on Facebook where we are, One Together CIC. Mm -hmm. You can email us at onetogethercic at gmail.com yeah. or contact us through our website, which is onetogethercic.co.uk. Mm. Would you like me to leave you with a Zen proverb? Go on then. Don't straighten your hat when you're standing under a pear tree. People will think you're stealing fruit. <laughs> but for now, this is Growing the Good, the Mindful, the Mindful Podcast. And we'll see you next, next time. This is Growing the Good, the Mindful Podcast.